I'm Kristen McFarland, and this is Market Like a Badass. I'm the founder and CEO of the Source Marketing Group, a cannabis and craft beer marketing technology company based in Denver, Colorado. Today, we're going to hear from special guest Lance Lambert. As the chief marketing officer for Grove Bags, he is responsible for overseeing the planning, development, and execution of the organization's marketing and advertising initiatives. But he's no stranger to the cannabis industry. This Northern Cali cancer survivor has been part of the industry and speaking about the plant for a long time, working with well-known brands such as the Cannabis, Weed Maps, and so on. So join me in welcoming Lance to the show. Welcome, Lance. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Kristen. I very much appreciate it. Yes, I'm excited to have you on. And uh, again, I know we were just reminiscing about Northern Cali, so glad to bring those good <laughs> vibes to the podcast. Uh, but uh, again, in your own Absolutely. words, tell tell our audience a little bit more about you and what you do. Yeah, definitely. So uh, my history with the plant goes way back. You know, I'm definitely as as they used to reference me at Weed Maps. I'm an OG, I guess. Yeah. Get to a certain age and been around the plant a certain amount of time. But yeah, I definitely grew up around it in Northern California, specifically in Marin County, which is kind of just the precursor to the the triangle. I spent a lot of time up there. My summers up at you know Lake Shasta or in oh know, beautiful in area the mountains. And uh, yeah, definitely loved it. And uh, the plant is part of how I was able to save up to go to school uh, down in San Luis Obispo, which is about halfway between LA and San Francisco. Uh, and then the, as far as my career goes, really went deep into media and marketing, uh, mostly in mainstream. So for companies like Scripps, uh, HDTV, Food Network, DIY, and the like. And then I had a former SVP from there that uh, went out to the Denver Post in Denver, Colorado. It was right around when legalization was coming into play. And she knew my background, she knew my history at the plant, but also with you know regard to marketing and media and uh, brought me out there. All of a sudden, uh, jumped in with both feet to the legal market, which was kind of ironic growing up in NorCal and, and going to Colorado to cut my teeth on the legal side. Um, but definitely it's a great experience and it's been about a decade and, and a fun ride ever since. Wow. So, That's amazing. Definitely. A decade. So we're going to get a, a lot of knowledge bombs dropped on <laughs> us here. And um, I want to dive into really just, again, everything from media and email and customer journey marketing and and even uh, more detail about your company, Grove Bags. There's a lot to learn, but I, I do have one question I want to ask before we dive into that. And, and that's what are you grateful for today? Oh, my gosh. I'm grateful for being alive. I know it sounds a little cliche, but I'm going to be celebrating 20 years of being cancer-free this September 18th. And so for those that are cancer survivors, thank you. And there's so many more. It's unfortunate because cancer is becoming more common in society today. Some Mm -hmm. people say, oh, the medical industry has come so far they can detect it more. So I'm I'm not sure about that. I kind of question the the contaminations in the food and water we drink, but I digress. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it uh, definitely reminds you to to live life to the fullest, you know, love what you do, do what you love, which is what I try to do every day. And uh, so yeah, I'm just thankful to be here and to be making an impact on the community and, and overarching industry of cannabis. Yes, me too. I'm glad you're here. And the number one wealth is health. I absolutely agree. I live okay. by that motto. And uh 
yeah, I, I'm I'm really grateful for that as well. So now I want to dive really quickly into growth bags. Uh, there's just yeah. so much to learn, and and I really think it's a a cool thing that you guys have going on. So uh, tell our audience a little bit more about growth bags specifically. What you all do? Um, are you business to business, business to consumer? Great question. So we're we're business to anyone that's plant touching or enjoying this plant to be honest. So nice. we do have a, a B2B side. And then as the, the head of marketing, and I manage the uh, business to consumer side. But yeah, how we came about, it's really cool compared to other companies in the space. You know, we came from this community myself. I'm still a grower. Uh, I have a few plants in the backyard. Our CEO and founder, he's a grower. And uh, he was actually a caregiver for his older brother, uh, who due to his medical conditions had turned to cannabis from traditional Western medicine. Um, approaches towards his ailment. And so that's how he got into it and, and thought there must be a better way to maintain the quality and consistency as well as the, the potency of the plant post-harvest. So luckily he came from a packaging background from his family and he knew that there were some things that you could do with the right materials to create that perfect atmosphere. And the best example I give, because I'm a huge metaphor and analogy guy, because a lot of people go, I'm still not understanding, like, how can you create the perfect environment within a plastic bag? Uh, so if you've ever bought pre-made salad at the grocery store, so the lettuce, the celery, the carrots, radishes, everything's all chopped up in a bag ready for you to just shake up with some Caesar dressing and pour in a bowl. That's a similar technology. So a lot of people think that those environments are flushed with argon or nitro, like noble gases, to flush out the oxygen. It's not at all the case. It's a technology. It's in that packaging that creates that perfect environment. Wow. So we took that ideology and approached you know, this space with the physiology of this specific plant and found that perfect way to, from relative humidity, which is obviously moisture content within the environment, uh, to anti-static, antimicrobial, to save those terpenes, preserve them, keep them fresh as well as even for our clear windowed bags, we have an outer UV protectant layer. So, um, you know, a lot of people, myself included, as an old school guy, I grew up with glass. You know, a lot of the, the old heads up on the hill, as we call them, yep. are still all about the glass. And, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a curve on education for us because we traditionally have heard, oh, the best things to recycle are aluminum, metal, steel in general, and then glass. But you actually look at it in the history of plastics, they weren't designed as a throwaway solution, hence why Tupperware was so successful. You know, they're lighter weight for transit. Um, they take um, less energy produ to produce and to recycle um, as opposed to glass, which has a, a larger carbon footprint, both on the, again, on the production and the recycling side of the proverbial coin. Very true. Um, so really, yeah, you can create this perfect environment. And, and I look back and go, oh my gosh, glass was overly porous. It's not UV protectant. The seals don't last for more than a season. Like, what was I thinking? But that's all we knew back then. Yeah. It's the same with, you know, some people probably still wash their clothes, banging them against rocks down by the river. A lot of us use washing machines now because we realize there's a technology that was created to make that easier and better, not just for the, the thing you're servicing, but also for us as individuals. So. Yes. So that's really in a nutshell what what Turplock is and and how Grove Bags came about. And on the so we're from this community report. On the consumer side, I gotta ask, you know, is it is it something where I would go and be able to buy that to keep my flower fresh? Because that's the worst thing as a consumer is when you go in and you're excited, oh, oh like I found the strain I wanted, and and then you crack yeah. it open when you get home and it like literally just turns into dust and it's very dry and not good quality. 
Exactly. Absolutely true. Yes, it's definitely accessible. We're, of course, on Amazon where a lot of people shop based on convenience, but we do sell direct on our very own website. You can buy everything from one bag to bulk bags. But I see that firsthand, you know, unlike some people at executive levels within companies, I'm constantly out on the road. I want to hear what the consumer saying. I want to see the interaction, the engagement with the brand and see where we're at as far as brand equity. That was a big part of, and I do this every summer, my, my most recent summer tour to Europe where I went to Germany, went to Holland and went to England. And those are markets of focus for us and got to hear the feedback and to hear one out of five people, a majority of them being growers, but one out of five using our technology already, two out of five people familiar with our brand, our brand association and, and what the technology is. Like that's something that's really rewarding to me because this is something that's beneficial to everyone. You know, literally from cure to consumption, we've got that solution to maintain that quality. And again, no matter if, if you're a medical advocate like myself, or if you're an adult user, recreational user, I mean, you still want the highest quality and potency in this plant matter at the end of the day. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. And so. I know you talked about doing a not, not all bags are created equal campaign. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think it highlights <laughs> why your technology is different and leans into your brand positioning a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So that is one thing that we've come up against. And again, it all comes back to education, especially when it's technology, right? I remember back and I'm dating myself. But I remember back in the early 2000s where people either had a flip phone or a Blackberry. Oh, yeah. You know, this whole smartphone, this this ideology of, of this device. Everyone's like, what? They, they couldn't wrap their heads around until you explain to them. That this is a little computer, like literally everything that used to be in this big laptop or in this big desktop. This now fits into this this little device. And so there's a bit of a learning curve and it all goes back to education, obviously word of mouth and testimonials. And so that's one thing that I realized coming up against, you know, people are like, oh, well, I, you know, I'm not a big fan of bags. I'm old school. I like glass or I like stainless. And I'm like, well, not all bags are created equal. You know, this isn't your mom's sandwich bag is essentially <laughs> kind of what we started putting out there, you know, yep. to help people understand that. But again, we didn't grow up knowing anything other than, oh, plastic is plastic is plastic and glass is glass is glass. And it's just not so the case. So that was really the ideology behind that campaign. Um, another thing, it's a little more cheeky, but we knew that people in the community, again, being where we come from, we knew the right people would understand this expression. But we always say mylars for mids because people will walk <laughs> up to our table. And again, it doesn't matter. I mean, this can be in Spain. It was in Germany. It's been in Chile. It's here in the States. And people will walk up and they go, oh, yeah, bags. Yeah, we, we run mylars. It's like, no, this, this is not Mylar's. We say Mylar's for mids. If, if you want to preserve potato chips, that's awesome. But Mylar, and that is a brand name, but essentially the, the material that people know as Mylar mm -hmm. was really designed for packaging food. Food is completely different as far as how to preserve that, that mass or that material. This biomass, it's, it's very temperamental, as you know. And again, moisture oxygen, light, all those things are huge factors in preserving this plant post-harvest. So it's a lot of education, but starting with helping people understand that, again, not all bags are created equal was definitely a first step. I, I love the campaign and the cheekiness. <laughs> I think this is an industry <laughs> where we get to have a lot of fun, you know, no holds bar there. Agreed. And what about Very true. Very what true. about like custom collabs and, and whatnot? Um, obviously, that comes to mind with with what you all have going on. And I think you talked about some collaborations that really helped expand your reach as well. So can you tell our listeners how how have strategic partnerships helped your business bring in more sales? 
My gosh, they've been a huge factor. And this does go back, you know, you mentioned weed maps. That's where I really found that strategic partnerships and alliances are advantageous. Even before that, even the cannabis. Uh, so we really focus on that because there are advocates out there. And for those that are in marketing, if you haven't figured this out yet, the, the, the mass populace, and again, this doesn't matter if it's a consumer or another business, they don't trust the company. They don't trust even the marketers. You know, they just like all of us are always constantly just pitching them, pitching them, pitching them. You know, it's really putting an emphasis on how to make that consumer, that customer's life easier. Mm -hmm. And definitely advocates and supporters of your brand or your product are the best ones to share that because first off, they're, they're not employed by us. And I make a point of that. We don't hire or pay for because I have been with companies. I was with a company that, you know, they didn't come from this community or this industry. This industry found them. This community found them. So they kind of fell into it, but they didn't know how to communicate with this audience. So they paid their way into communication, right? They would hire influencers and hire brand ambassadors. Anyone that helps support us and our brand, we thank them with bags. We'll do collaboration bags and do, you know, with their design or their branding and our branding. I'll get into that. But we don't need to pay to play mm -hmm. because that's how much these people believe in our product and technology, which is huge. That, that's, yeah, that's amazing. Same. Yeah. And that's I go back to I me mean, and pick up. I go back to Apple because we're all Simon Sinek fans if, if you're a marketer. And I asked people, I said, when did Apple contact you and tell you this was the best product? When did they reach out to you? I Direct, indirect campaigns, et cetera. Like, no, my buddy, you know, he used to have a BlackBerry and he switched to an Apple and he told me about the memory. He told me about the life. About I'm like, exactly. It's word of mouth. You trust your friend. You don't trust the marketer. So we definitely take that approach. And some of the collabs we've done, I, actually, this is one that just dropped. Um, this is one of the reasons I was out in Holland, obviously had some meetings in Amsterdam. Oh, but this nice. is a friend of mine, Peter, a.k.a. Mossy Giant. He is a phenomenal artist. Uh, he's been supporting the community for years. He actually went to college. He's originally from Holland, but he came out here to go to college in Indiana. And this is the latest of a series we're doing with him because he supports the community. We support him. He's a fan of ours and our technology for his flower. We're a fan of his because he just, I mean, he does phenomenal work. I don't know how else to put it. So we do a series with him. And the bonus about that is 50% of the proceeds go back to the artist. It's, oh, it's his artwork. Wow. It's his design. It's all about him. So again, we're community over corporate. We're privately owned anyway, so we're not corporate. But yep. the point being is that we support the people in the community and we want to make sure that support comes back. So um, another fun, I've got a few here. So another one, fun one, Calipo, great underground brand out of England. This is another one we just dropped while he's out there in Europe. Oh, I um, love great that. guys, huge fans of the tech. Last but definitely not least, and this is another NorCal friend of mine, uh, James Loud, James Loud Genetics. So we did one with him. Um, I didn't tell him I got a little crazy with the, with the groovy, the seventies, you know, have been coming back for a hot minute. Yeah. I love it. The eighties finally cycled. <laughs> it took forever, but you know, the bell bottoms are, are definitely back. And so we kind of took his design and had fun with it. And being he's a good enough friend, I surprised him. I didn't tell him what I was doing, but this is a good example of a collab. He's a fan of ours. We're a huge fan of his. He's technically an R and D partner of ours. Oh, he that's does amazing. Everything from, from base genetics, seeds, clones, tissue culture. He's a phenomenal grower. Um, so those are the kind of partnerships where it's very cyclical. You yes. know, we help them, they help us. It's not about, Hey, can I pay you to promote or can... no, that's again, that's for the big corporate companies that don't know the audience or the community they're serving. And yes. that's another thing they forget yep. is that they're serving this community. They're, they're the customers, not, 
not the other way around. So yep. yeah, it's definitely been a, a great success for us. And we do those campaigns every quarter. We do about five or six, six collaborations, always one artist, um, always one or two genetics, um, always at least a few brands that we see up and coming we want to support. So it's it's just a really cool program. That's amazing. I love that one that it supports the community, right? You're giving somebody an opportunity to get their art in front of new eyeballs. Um, but again, I think the sustainable brands that are going to win in this industry are focused on community. Um, if you yeah. look at like every MSO horror story, I mean that they're missing. You know, they're they're the ones that are having to yeah. do the pay to play for a reason because. To your point, they're not really involved in the capacity that they should be. They're not creating community. They're not right. giving back to the community. They're just trying to, you know, certain ones are trying to just, you know, pull, pull value out of it without giving any value. And um, yep. yeah, I think that's the big difference between the brands that are going to win long term. It is. It is. And that's in, and we won't say any specific names, but just as an example, there's, there's a large uh, trade show that's in the States that a lot of us in the industry and, and that have been with this community for some time reference that it, that event is a necessary evil. And it's, and even, mm -hmm. I think they know that it's, it's not anything personal to anyone, but to your point, when it's obvious that you're putting profit in front of the people that that can't be hidden anymore. That's something that was disguised by marketers for a better part of last century. And even to a certain extent, the first decade of this century, but now it's done. It's over. The, the Z gen are so smart. The millennials are so smart. They can see right through it. If you're disingenuine and you aren't supporting or giving back to the community, and that's why people are so successful. Mm -hmm. You know, people are surprised when they see these YouTube celebrities and how successful they are. It's because they're genuine and they really care and they really give back. Mm -hmm. When's the last time Johnson & Johnson or any of the, or Ford Motor Company, any of the large Apple, when's the last time they gave back to the community and the people there that support them so much, you know? So yeah, you have to be genuine in this day and age. You really do. Yeah, really do. I agree. I think, uh, again, that, that, that's what helps people hang on in the, in the long run and, and people see right through you because they're looking for authenticity. I mean, your consumers know whether you're legit or just trying to get a buck off of them. And, and so, um, and I think that's what helps build that customer loyalty long time, like long term too, right? You're doing collabs, you're putting exactly. people forward. It's not just a strategic partnership today. You're building really uh, a, a future together in cannabis, which is which is what it's all about. And um, I, I want to geek out a little bit more about uh, the digital side of the house because you know we're email geeks here at the Source Marketing Group, and um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I want to learn all the things. And I, I, you know, we're always curious how other how other businesses are leveraging uh, email marketing. So can you talk about how it's helped you from your customer journey, from you know top of the funnel, nurturing new subscribers to to building brand loyalty? Absolutely, and. Again, that was my my background, right, in digital media. And it was so fun to be a part of that evolution in the early 2000s. You know, we went from what was called legacy or traditional media to pure play or modern media, right? So legacy media is your billboards and your direct mailers and your newspaper and your magazine and all these tangibles. And then your pure play or modern is email marketing and SEO, SEM, social media, et cetera. One thing that I had explained to my customers when I was selling digital media was that there's something comparable for everything out there. So when they're like, well, well, what's comparable to an email blast? I said, well, that's like a direct mail piece. You're literally sending out that one single piece that has that one specific message to that certain audience. 
well, what about digital display? Oh, banner ads. Banner ads are similar to if yep. you had an ad in a newspaper or in a magazine. Like you can always compare and people really understood it. The one thing that's remained consistent uh, has always been email. That's one that a lot of people don't know. That's still the number one form of communication ahead of SMS, text, and phone calls. We know there's generations that don't even like picking up the phone. Nothing. I mean, I'm yeah, one of yeah. them. I don't, when people cold call me, I never answer my phone. Straight to I'm voicemail. Like, on my schedule, <laughs> straight to voicemail, right? <laughs> so it's very common. We're big believers of it. So we utilize it definitely as an acquisition tool, but also as a retention and growth tool. So you made an excellent point. We do look at it from a, from a TOMA, top of mind awareness with that top of funnel, but we also use it as a retention and growth tool at the bottom of the funnel as well. Um, so I'm a firm believer of having a strong cadence with that touch point because I own that, right? It's not yeah. a, through a medium like Facebook or Twitter or where, where they can shut you down. Yeah. <laughs> where they can shut in the way the same thing. I explain to people putting all your eggs in a social media, which I was never a fan of social media, full disclosure. I never trust Mark Zuckerberg. I didn't trust him from the beginning. I always said security and privacy was horrible mm. at Facebook. Yeah. Look at what happened years later. I'm not saying I'm a psychic, but I just saw the games they played and how they changed the rules, you know, every period forget at the end of the game. But we definitely believe in email marketing because that is that direct path of communication. It's not going through some sort of conduit like a social media platform or otherwise. So we have a cadence where we send out a weekly newsletter. It comes out every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time, obviously one o'clock Eastern time. We also reserve Thursdays for solo blasts because sometimes there's a more important message. Yep. It might be uh, 710s coming up, maybe just before 20. Um, Croptober is right around the corner. Hey, so something that's a little more specific <laughs> has a stronger CTA. Yeah. So, but I'm happy to report that we increase our audience on average. And I always keep an eye on these numbers. The median increase week over week, we always add another 100. So it might be 119 like it was last week, might be 95 the week before. But we're coming in right at 100 of wow. new followers via our email marketing campaigns. That is huge because, again, that's my direct communications them. Yeah. I'm not having to worry about getting shut down, getting turned up. Like you said, there's challenges and other forms of push marketing and, and even pull marketing out there, too. Yeah, it's really interesting, even with traditional methods like um, the billboards or out of home. We were just talking about some out of home advertising on another episode uh, with Eric and he mentioned uh, the, the trucks have like a device and they can ping the, the locations nearby and pick up a device ID. So they actually can have, yeah. a, you know, retargeting capabilities and uh, you know, media and digital marketing is just always ever evolving and uh, which is exciting and why I love the, you know, why I love marketing, uh, but it can be challenging, especially uh, in cannabis when you already have, <laughs> a lot of other regulations. Yeah. Uh, curious how you all, yeah. as when you're looking at your full funnel and your multi-channel marketing, um, how do you, how do you report against that? Or what, what are some of the KPIs that you look for to know like, Hey, yeah, this is working. Definitely. There are some KPIs that were very heavily weighted back in the, the 2000s and even segued into the 2010s. It surprised me. There are some I definitely live by. I still think you know, your open rate, as well as your click-through rate, obviously your engagement, those are big factors on your email. But, you know, we put a lot of weight on, um, back then, a lot of weight on followers and engagement and interaction on social. And I think a lot of marketers have realized that it's okay to focus on the quality over quantity because yes. if people are engaging just because of something flashy, 
then there's less direct and indirect attribution that's going to come from that. You know, if you're doing a campaign that's annoying and that's why it got the attention, I mean, again, I'm going to go way back, but like, where's the beef campaign from Wendy's? You know, that's just like one of those that stuck in my head as well as like the Max Hedrum campaign from Coca-Cola, um, the early Apple campaigns. There's a lot of these marketing campaigns I grew up with and learned a lot from, but where's the beef? It was annoying. You know, Flo from Progressive. Oh, she's annoying. Like that does, not, <laughs> that does not make me want to use Progressive. So you have to be mindful because you might get an increase of engagement, but it might be for the wrong reasons, not the right reasons. Because if I see Flo's face on on social media, I'm probably not going to say something likable or favorable because, again, it's just an annoying character. Yeah, that's so, so you have true. To be cognizant of the KPIs. Oh, yeah. uh, speaking of annoying, and and this is something that I'm going to harp on real quick while we're kind of talking about email still um opt-ins please for god's sake let people opt into your communications because i i was just looking at traveling out to mj bizcon my girlfriend went on a hotel website they scraped her data yep. from the website and immediately started email uh emailing her just all these messages and it was just they just were relentless right and in their mind, they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to get this web lead and, and convert her. We are already probably going to stay there. But now she doesn't want to stay there. She is so pissed off at this brand because yeah. she feels like they they invaded her privacy and which they did technically. right? They This is not yeah. an opt in. And um, depending on you know her location, too. Uh, that company could be in hot water because you have California privacy laws, you have GDPR if you're in Europe. So there's yeah. a lot of danger there as well. There is, there is. And for those that don't know, the CAN-SPAN law, which is the one that overarches on all email marketing, because early on we recognized that, hey, email marketing is kind of similar to that junk mail day on Tuesdays that you <laughs> get at home. Like you get stuff you don't necessarily want, but unlike with your mailbox where you can put it straight into the recycling bin, to your point, all of a sudden, it's tough to unsubscribe. And so I am, I have to tell you, I am a bit floored that things have almost kind of gone the wrong direction because you mentioned GDPR. You have to take that very serious in Europe. Mm -hmm. Same with Canada. I mean, that's another Commonwealth country that is very, very strict and they have passed down penalty to businesses, especially the large ones that have the deep pockets mm -hmm. Castle. for not allowing that opt-in option. Yeah. I mean, we were getting into double opt-in, which I was a huge fan of because- Oh, yeah. For one, that assured that they were really interested, right? But for two, for me, that was a CYA as a marketer. I was like, hey, they said they were interested. That's great. Now I'm going to reach out to them and confirm they're interested and have them do one more step to validate that. Yep. Because it has gotten a little out of control. But we've also kind of come back in general, right? Some of these privacy laws, which you mentioned California, my home state, we do definitely lead the path. Some things are a little questionable. It's yeah. getting a little socialistic, <laughs> but... When it comes to consumers' rights and consumers' privacy, California is definitely on the forefront. And other places like Delaware, Vermont are picking up. But the, we do set, definitely set a precedence. And so some of the things that we used to be able to do as marketers, especially on my tail end of my career focused purely on digital media, isn't so easy to do. I mean, mm -hmm. we're doing cross-device tracking, like you mentioned. So yeah. we'd ping your device ID. We'd match it with your device IP. All of a sudden, that ad for that deal in Vegas from your, your phone is able to pop up on your browser on your computer. I mean, it was kind of getting next level. Yeah. And so those have kind of backed off because of some of the privacy rights too, which again, it's just forcing marketers. You mentioned it in this industry where you have to be super creative. 
but I think it's forcing the mainstream marketers to step back and be more creative and go, hey, maybe I should really, again, communicate with my potential yes. or existing customer and ask them what they want and see if this is the frequency of a gift. I love when I do opt into an email and the frequency, maybe they have like a every other day cadence or three times a week cadence. And I go to opt out because I don't mess around. You, you, you're probably the same way. I'm, I have oh, no yeah. problem if I'm subscribing. Sometimes <laughs> I even flag spam and unsubscribe because I'm a Google user. But I like how they even have the option. Oh, do you want the frequency to be less? Do you only want us to ping you on this versus that? Like, give me the options. Yes, set that preference center up. I don't want to divorce you. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't want to be smothered. Yes, <laughs> yes. So. It's kind of like dating. Yeah, yeah. You're like, okay, you're coming on too hot too fast now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's... I always compare everything to personal. That's yep. you, you nailed it. That's I'm like trust and communication. It's not just your personal life. It's your professional life. You need to trust. You need to communicate. And so it's the same thing. Like joking aside, you're spot on. It's so much like a relationship. Like, hey, you, you don't need to call me when you wake up and when you go to bed and when you're going to lunch and when you're like, we're independent people. I'm just getting to know you. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Maybe hit me up once or twice a week. Then we'll ease into it. Yeah. It should be the same with your potential customers too on the acquisition side. Yeah. It's that, that value, value punch. Don't come out of the gate just asking away because again, you add some value to your audience. And while we're talking about, you know, GDPR and all the things across the world, um, it made me think of your travels recently and, you know, you all, uh, you're focused on emerging markets. And I'm curious that yes. as legalization spreads, across the U.S. and the world, uh, as new markets yeah. open up, what's your advice for other cannabis business owners who are looking to monetize emerging markets? That is a great question. Uh, be ready. <laughs> so I've been very fortunate in creating this network, this global network that I have. I mean, every day I'm on, I started my morning in Thailand, uh, then a call with Australia and then just wrapped up one in England. So oh, wow. typically on the daily, I'm going around the world, at least one or two calls. And I know that's a lot for some. It's a tough thing to balance, but I'm also not your typical marketer. You know, I've, I've kind of come up in a unique way where I, I really did everything I could and really mastered sales. And I segued to working my way up in operations and then marketing. But I do marketing and business development. So I have a little bit of a sales hat on still because, you know, when it comes to strategic partnerships or, or B2B sales or distribution relationships, oh, yeah. you know, a lot of that sale is just building the relationship. The actual physical sale is a given. Once you've established that report, it's like, okay, now we're going to start reselling your product or now we're going to incorporate your SOPs into our operations. So um, you have to be prepared and you don't literally need to speak the language, but metaphorically you need to. You need to understand that there are certain etiquette and ways that you communicate and do business in Asia versus South America, Very true. South America versus Europe, Europe versus Israel or Africa. There's very much a certain, a certain tone. And to give an example, I have a friend now, a very good friend uh, who's based out of Prague in Czechia, uh, Czech Republic. And he didn't want to do business until we sat down in person and had a shot of vodka and a split. Hey. And thankfully, that was when I still drink. I don't drink anymore. I don't have time for it, to be honest. I've waited not enough hours in the day for that. But but when I did, and so sure enough, we were at Product Earth 2018 in Birmingham, England. And he came up, and I was there, and his entourage was there. And we sat down, and one from his entourage had the bottle, had the glasses. I mean, it was like something out of an Indiana Jones movie where it's just like, you're like, is this how you guys operate? I love it. it. This is goals so for me. You, I'm, you I'm taking notes. I'm yeah. like, okay, the, oh you know, I'm going to negotiate some new terms at my Absolutely. next meeting, you know? 
<laughs> there you go. But do be do be ready, and then um, depend on what your business is. So even if you're an ancillary and you think, oh, I'm in the clear, I'm not an LP or an MSO who's plant touching. Um, we have all these rules and regulations that you need to assimilate to, rather it be in Portugal, again, or Australia, Colombia, wherever you're setting up shop. Ancillaries have challenges too, because uh, working for an equipment company at one point, you know, it's fine that we were ISO certified and it's fine that we were GMP compliant, but you have to be EU GMP compliant in the 56 Commonwealth. Oh, wow. So all of a sudden the game levels up. Uh, Same thing with claims. You know, over here, it's really interesting. I'll give a great example in my backyard. So if you like strawberries, you know, we're a capital for a lot of things, right? I mean, cannabis probably are. But garlic and artichokes and asparagus and broccoli, um, we're second place for oranges, we're first place for almonds, the list goes on. We produce over 60% of the fruit and vegetables to the rest of the country. Wow. One of those is the strawberry, right? So there's a town not far from me, right on the other side of Glasshouse Farms, which is in Camarillo, so right on the other side of Oxnard, and they claim to be the strawberry capital of the world, right? Oxnard. Where I grew up in Northern California, there's a little town up there called Watsonville. They claim to be the strawberry capital of the world. When you go to a place like Europe, you can't make those claims. You literally have to have bona fide facts that says our total weight for distribution in kilos for last year for all strawberries from this city or this county or this fill-in-the-blank zip code, that has to be validated and proved. Or else the competitor this case, Watsonville can come in and go, nope, sorry, we sold 100 more kilos than you. We're the first in the top in place. So you have to be cognizant. You can't come into another market and go, we're the best, we're the biggest, we're the fastest, we're the this, we're the that. You can't just make those erroneous claims. You have to have the facts to back them up. And that's something that's not traditionally common here in the US, but it's not common in the Americas. I mean, literally from Chile to, to Alaska and everywhere in between, but you go over to Europe, and they're very strict. And if they say, hey, you're saying that this is the fastest uh, cleaning solution on the market and it's not, they could actually require you to make a recall of those goods or products Oh wow! because of that false claim. So be very cautious. Know the market you're playing and don't think you have all the answers. Don't think you know everything. And then keep in mind that your network has a net worth. Like you need to be cognizant about who you connect with. Be aware of that there are imaginary borders. So if you mm. do business with someone in Luxembourg, yep. there might be someone in Holland that doesn't want to do business with you because they're a neighbor or someone in France. So there's a lot of these little um, landmines, if you will, mm-hmm. that are out there in the international market that you have to be very cognizant of. Yeah. So hiring, and I know I'm a little very bit of a nuanced. Unicorn, as people say. Yeah, it's very nuanced. There's not a lot of people that spend the time to learn all this, but it really is a great value when you're expanding an international brand to know these nuances in, in every region, in, in some instances, in every market down to the country level. So Wow, that's amazing. That's I, I appreciate you kind of touching on that because I think that's such important advice that oftentimes you don't consider, right? You're just like, you want to get from A to B, I want to scale, I want to grow. And, and I think those are very important hurdles that you have to overcome and be prepared for in order to, to you know, maximize your, your profits as you expand. So next, I want to talk a little bit more about customer journey marketing. Um, again, yeah. just 
we're multi-channel or omni-channel, right? As much as we can be. Uh, we want to, again, it's, it's not the silver bullet that we wish it was like, Oh, I posted twice on social media this week and business is, is booming. Um, you know, it really takes a lot to, to get businesses to win, to turn customers into raving fans and, um, and you have to show up consistently too, but can you talk about why it's important to have a customer journey mapped out and be investing in multi-channel marketing? Absolutely. Uh, you know, and this kind of goes back to, it's interesting as I grew up around marketers and had some great, you know, rather they be good or bad managers or good or bad, good or bad marketers, you learn something from all of them. So That's you learn right. the things to do from the good ones. You learn things not to do from the bad ones. So everyone's like, oh, do you have a perfect life journey and all great mentors? I'm like, no, I had some, I had some crappy ones too. Yep. But They teach um, a lot though. Really comes <laughs> they do. They do. They teach you not how to manage and not how, you know. So um, the thing for me, and this is where I'm different than most marketers, I've always grown up around marketers are like, you need to find out, you need to source, 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 especially coming from categories like SaaS and automotive, mm -hmm. where it's it's such a high ticket item, rather be from a, a single point purchaser and, and is a, a, a annuity type basis, right, as far as that, that customer's potential. And so that was one thing that I kind of went against the grain in. I it's good to hear. I love people say it, it, this just happened in England. People are like, oh, um, I found out about your product from Mills, which is one of our distributors. Or I found out by going over to this facility showroom and they had your bags on display and gave me a sample. Like I do love hearing that because that allows me to give credit back to that entity or individual, you know, at, at minimum a thanks. But I'm more so a marketer that just loves someone to say, I see you everywhere. My gosh, you guys. And that's when I know that we're at that place where we're almost crossing that chasm from the early adopters to the mainstream adoption. Very true. Because when people say, I see you everywhere, it's because we really are touching them in multiple places, right? So that means you're doing an omni-channel effort. So for us, again, the typical, yeah, and we're a little restricted in cannabis, but email marketing, social media marketing, traditional mar guerrilla marketing and bootstrap approaches, right? So again, going back to community and being there on the ground for a contest or a competition in this country or anywhere else. So really taking it to the roots, all those things make an impact because you never know when you're going to make that first impression. Yeah. And not everyone is in one specific channel as much as we like to think, oh, half the population is on this social media app and two thirds of the population is on that social media app. Yeah, that's still a big number that you're coming up again against of people who aren't necessarily in that audience. Um, so that's why I'm a big fan of spreading the wealth, even some of the traditional. I, I don't give, and again, I know I'm an old head, but you know, there's some of that traditional. I still pick up, I mean, I love just as an example, and I got them all around my office, but but Grow Magazine, I love it. Oh, I yeah. love it because I'm a grower, right? And it showcases the things that I like to, what are the latest cultivars? What are the latest best practices, right? And I'm not, even though I'm an outdoor grower, I appreciate learning about indoor and light death and all the rest of it. But this magazine I know is really popular with the growers and they have a phenomenal, phenomenal circulation. So this does seem like an ideal investment to me as a marketer, because I know there's other guys like me that are looking for ways to streamline and bring efficiency to my process yep. and honestly to my life. Right. And that goes back to full circle with where obviously Turpwalk technology came into play, you know, burping jars and spending two weeks doing this every day and hoping you don't forget to put the caps on versus heat sealing the top. And to quote Ron Papil, set it and forget it. You can go on holiday, you can head to Mexico and surf all week and come back and your bud's still curing. Like that's the kind of stuff that, again, 
guys like me, gals like me that are growers, I know are reading material like that. Yeah, very and true. Some people might think, oh, Prince dead. You can keep thinking you're the Prince dead. I, I don't think you're the most rounded marketer if that's your opinion, but that's totally fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to your point, it's just reaching people where they're at. Uh, everybody has different likes, dislikes. I think that's why it's so important to segment and understand your audience. Like, you know, you may have different brand personas or different types of consumers, maybe, you know, Susan who buys once a month versus uh, Brad who's buying more yeah. often and create those, those customer profiles. So, you know, uh, where to meet them at because they all, you know, some are in the discord and digital communities yeah. or on subreddit, right. <laughs> you know, talking, oh talking about cannabis on there. There's a lot of, a lot going on in Reddit that, you know, people are going yeah. back and forth because it's community centered. So it's hard to overlook those channels. So yeah, making sure that you're, you're considering the full customer journey, right. From somebody being able to enter your store, uh, you know, or visit your online storefront on your website to, you know, the, what, what next, are they reading a blog? Are they seeing you in a magazine? Are you at a community event? Are you sampling products? Yeah. I mean, those are the things that really help and, and it's consistency, right? Over time. And we wish as marketers that we could say, okay, everybody, here's the magic formula. And in four weeks you're golden, but, um, it's really looking at the data to figure out, well, what channels are working, why, and where can we double down on the efforts that are going to drive the most value for us and our business? Yeah, it's very true. I mean, that's one thing that so many of us are going full bore, and I'm I'm the first one to, to be a victim of that. You know, obviously, I'm always go, 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 and don't have time to slow down and, and smell the flowers, but we need to stop, to your point, and we need to, and that's why I live by the numbers. I'm so thankful the years I spent in digital media operations because oh, yeah. it really taught me how to right the analytics. I mean, some of the stuff that we do is a little bit of tea leaves and tarot cards. I won't I won't lie. Like some of it, we're trying. Where's the direction of the audience going next? What's yep. the next trend? I mean, I remember being on Snapchat back in 2012 before any of, especially any friends in my generation knew what the heck it was. Like you're always trying to stay ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. But in the same regards. As big as the windscreen is, you still have these rearview mirrors, and you do need to look back and go, "Hey, was this a success? Yes or no? Is this going the right direction? Yes or no?" We do it all the time with SEM. You know, we have all of a sudden ankle biters that come along, competitors, as I call, you know, come <laughs> along, and they start kind of eking in on our share. That I, I see my cost per click go up. I need to diversify my copy. I need to diversify my target because I don't need them to cost me more money just because they're trying to throw money at a solution, you know? So mm -hmm. you're right. You need to definitely be aware and just pause and whatever your cadence is. I mean, my numbers every week, I'm doing a heavy audit on my numbers. Of course I'm OCD. So I'm looking at my traffic numbers daily. I'm looking at my, my email opens on a regular, but every week I stop and analyze where are we at week over week, where are we at month over month? And then every quarter I do a big audit on where we are year over year. So it's something you really need to be aware of, again, as a successful marketer yeah. to make sure that you're on the right path because you only have so much of a budget. I mean, that's with coming from it's a true. guy who comes in and scales <laughs> up companies to success. We all have a fixed budget and sometimes it's trivial what we have to work with. So you have to be even more creative even more conservative in many instances. Yes. So. Yeah. And there's a lot of ways to be creative. It comes down to, again, those strategic partners that you just talked about at the beginning of the episode of like, you know, how can I create these strategic partnerships or 
collaborations, maybe we do a brand activation together in a market and yeah. reduce the cost because, um, especially for us, small, smaller businesses, small, medium, you know, we're, we don't have the, uh, the $50,000 title sponsorship that, <laughs> that we would love to no. do. Uh, so we have to be very crafty. It's true. I got hit up for one of those. I laughed at Spanibus, which I've been going to for years. It is by far, I'd say, the biggest, most relevant uh, trade show in the European market. We had technically four corners, Spanibus to the south, Mary Jane to the north, Canifest to the east, and Product Earth to the west, which just happened this last weekend. But I was offered an opportunity to sponsor an event before Spanibus. It was actually a separate event thereof. And to your point, $50,000, I'm like... You're talking like MJ Biz money. Yeah. And this is a one day event. I'm like, I don't know what you're thinking, but that funny money left this industry back in 2018. We right. saw it come in. It, it kind of worked its way in, you know, once Colorado, Washington, Oregon, California all started moving forward. We saw this funny money come in. A lot of guys, Wolves of Wall Street types, right? They came from either real estate or dot com, whatever. They came in, they're flashing. We had the big parties, hands full of weed, free vape carts. It, it was someone's going to do a movie at some point about I can't wait. <laughs> but those days are done, yep. to your point. I don't have $50,000 to spend on your one event. And to be candid, it's a slight tangent. Events have gone the opposite direction. A lot of people, and, and I have to give credit to the Canadians. Most, most of my friends that were marketing north of the border were the first ones to say this. They're like, Lance, we've been able to do it for the last two years without expos and trade shows. So do we really need them now that this this mm. whole COVID thing is in our rear view? Interesting. Yeah. It's a really good question. So I know a lot of us, not just the consumers, the customers, but the marketers, we wanted to go back to what we knew as the norm. So we saw this blip where late 21, obviously 22, kind of came back into full swing with trade shows and expos, but the ROI was not there hmm. because the thing that changed is most markets, and I'm speaking holistically on the domestic North America side. These were established markets. Everywhere where you could buy cannabis post-COVID, all legal markets, right? Straight out the gate anyway. You've had a few come on board. So they're already established markets. You need to go out and drum up the business and, and bring those customers in and be proactive about delivering that traffic to me as an exhibitor. And a lot of the groups weren't doing that. Yeah. Instead of investing in themselves and promoting the opportunity, they were discounting to us as the exhibitors on the back end. Well, that doesn't do them any favors. That's a short-term gain versus long-term goal. If you're not going to sustain your brand and build your audience, then then not to be harsh, that you're of no use to me. Yeah. That's not a solution for me anymore to reach my target audience like we discussed. So that's another pivotal shift is you still have some people are like, hey, trade shows, expos, trade shows, expos. Yeah, okay. In the teens, for sure. In the 20s, not so much. Yeah. You need to adjust what you're doing. You know, if they don't come to you, go to them. That's what we're doing. You know? Do the field so. field marketing, local, regional events. Um, yep. You know, sometimes, yep. honestly, sometimes those are the best because they're a little bit, again, they're more intimate. It's a little easier to come up to somebody when there's not 40,000 other people around. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Little, I know what you're saying. A little easy to start yep. that conversation and less pressure and really build that business relationship. But um, I want to pivot over to the lightning round. We've got uh, five questions. Oh, yeah. You've got 10 seconds okay. to answer. And uh, oh my gosh. yeah. What's your favorite quote? Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's a good question. 
uh, it's one that's kind of cliche, but I love it. I live by it. Don't put off tomorrow what can be done today. Like seriously, nice. and maybe that's why I'm a I'm a 12 hour day guy, and I don't work harder. I work smarter as well. But man, I see people procrastinate, and I don't understand why. Yeah, because there's more opportunities that are put in front of you every day. So why would you? Just, oh, I'll get to it when I get to it. Manana, manana. No, get it done and, and seek the next opportunity. Hell yeah. So. Get her done. <laughs> what's your What's your strangest talent? My strangest talent? <laughs> My gosh, that's a good one. Probably breaking into cars. So oh, that's a part nice. that's kind of funny, but that I'm, I'm joking. I So to put myself through college, I worked for AAA. So I did uh, roadside service. So um, was actually a full certified uh, trainer as well for AAA. So when it comes to unlocking vehicles, doing uh, accident and uh, rollover recoveries, a lot of people would never imagine a guy like me to be able to do something like that. But that was that five is years cool. of my life. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, okay. When you said yeah. that, I thought, uh-oh, we're not going to dive any. <laughs> no more no. details. I don't know the statue of limitations <laughs> there. but <laughs> It's like see people's eyes open up. Was, I mean, I guess another odd thing is being an advanced certified diver. But in California, oh, cool. things like diving and surfing and kayaking, like I'm like every other dude. So, you know, like every other guy <laughs> so breaking into beach. cars. Yeah, that, that got me. Um, Okay, what's your best business book or best influencer? Oh my gosh. So a business book, I've mentored a lot of people over the years. Full disclosure, I got in, got into management when I was 20. And I'd even stop and realize until about seven years ago uh, that my father was in management. He ended up moving his way up to, to boss level. My mom too. She was definitely, she's a topper game, worked her way up. Nice. My grandfather, yeah. his nickname was Boss Lambert, Merle Boss, everyone called him Boss. And I was like, wow, I come from a family of leaders. And so I definitely, as far as influencer was my dad, his work ethic and his standards. I mean, he was, he was my father, he was my friend, but he was also probably the biggest mentor that I had. Oh, that's huge. But books, since I mentor people, a lot of people ask, well, what would you recommend? There is one book I recommend. I purchase for friends. I buy them because I keep letting people borrow it and they don't give it back, which is fine. <laughs> but Michael Watkins, The First 90 Days. Hmm. It's a really easy read, but it is something that really helps you understand whether you're coming into a new role or, or you're coming into a new company. It just really kind of helps align things and help you understand kind of the basic framework and helps you be successful. It's all about the 30, 60, 90 or the 90 day plan. Yes. Oh, I love that. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely a fan of Michael Watkins. Um, as far as a fun read, I have to tell you as a marketer, this is a side of bonus for you. Um, it's Searching for God in Guinness. This is another phenomenal book. Nice. If you're a marketer, a lot of people didn't know. The Guinness Book of World Records, that's a marketing campaign from – the Guinness Beer Company. So there's a little fun fact for you. Read that book, what? especially read it before you go to Ireland to tour the storehouse, the the Guinness factory in Dublin. You have to read that book before you go on holiday to Ireland. Oh. It is a phenomenal book. Wow, and bonus so cool. bonus it, like, book right there. Yeah, <laughs> for marketers especially, I'm telling you. But it talks about how the generations. It was Sir Arthur Guinness went into beer. His brothers went into priesthood. It flipped. His his kids went into priesthood. The other priest went into beer and it went back and forth for four generations. And they kept it in the family until middle of last century. It was insane how like, there's a lot of fun stuff. Wow. So oh, my mind's that. exploding right now. I'm going to be on a, I'm going <laughs> to be in a rabbit hole after this on Google. Um, all right. We got two yeah. more. What's your favorite band? Okay. Uh, it's Big Head Todd and the Monsters. I'm a huge fan of Todd Moore. I'm a fan of Hell any musician yes. that's actually a singer and a songwriter. 
But on top of that, he was a phenomenal guitarist. Uh, they're a college band. I, I grew up with them. I'm, I'm a little bit younger as I, far as their demographic. I wanted to see the them 50s. at Red Rocks, so, though. I think that, they were there a year or two ago, and I, I yes. missed it. And uh, I've heard so they they're do good. It. They are very good. They do Red Rocks uh, every holiday. They do a, a Christmas show there because they're from Boulder. So all of their friends oh, and family that come. Makes sense. Funny story. Yep. Another quick bonus. Um, so I did a round. I saw them at the House of Blues on the Sunset Strip before it shut down. I've seen them play in a barge at a beer festival in Chattanooga. Saw them at the oldest venue in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I've seen them, obviously, uh, in Northern California, back home. But the best show I saw in the Coveted is at Red Rocks. I happen to be standing next to the drummer's wife. And it was right before Bittersweet, their, their chart-topping song came on. And she was like, hey, you want to go backstage? You can take my stampede pass. She gave it to me, and I went backstage just in time for, like, the best song that they've ever written and, and performed. Wow. So that's my fun story about Red Rocks. But they are phenomenal, you guys. If you like college jam bands, great bluesy, kind of rock bluesy sound. Hell, yeah. Really cool band. I play guitar, so that's right up my alley. Oh. And the, the last yeah. one here, which famous person, dead or alive, would you like by your side during a zombie apocalypse? <laughs> Got the really <laughs> important stuff apocalypse. here. Oh, my gosh. That is a good one. I suppose it'd be The Rock. I mean, Ooh. he lives down the street from me anyway, but, I mean, he's just, he's he's a badass, but he as cocky as people think he is, he's a really humble guy. There's some actors and people you meet that musicians that you think they're so nice and dreamy. It's like careful meeting your heroes kind of thing. Oh, but he's a generally a good guy. Um, but yeah, I, I would definitely, because he's, he's got the mask for it, but he's also got a great personality to get you through some crazy stuff. So nice. Yeah. I, that's a good, Dwayne. that's a good choice. Dwayne the rock. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate it. Um, before, you know, before we move on and, and round things out, I want to make sure that you share with our audience uh, where they can find you, like Grove Pags uh, online, uh, social media, LinkedIn. What's the best place where people can find you? Yeah, we keep it simple, although we really lead with uh, Terp Lock specifically for cannabis, but Grove Bags. So you can find us at grovebags.com. Uh, you can find us on all social media at Grove Bags. Um, and then for myself, 805 Lance, I'm in the 805 area code. So it's uh, 805 Lance and that's the same thing on Instagram and all the all the handles and all the rest of it. LinkedIn, uh, Lance Lambert. So Perfect. definitely always love to connect with people. If anyone uh, wants to reach out, try out some samples for yourself, give up the glass, move on from the Mylars and the Mids, definitely feel free to reach out. Oh, heck yeah. I appreciate that. And uh, for quick links, I'm going to drop these in the Market Like a Badass show notes. So links to the social handles will be on there and thank you so much for coming on i really appreciate your time yeah. today definitely it was a joy coming on and great conversation thanks again yes appreciate you and in the meantime follow us on apple or spotify or go to marketlikeabadass.media for the latest episodes of market like a badass mm-hmm.